0: Welcome to The Aggregate, hosted by Kinetic Ventures. This is a project based on the learnings from Startup DNA and the Founder's Journey. On this episode, we talk with Dan Healy, CEO of Pickup. Dan has become a good friend and I know you'll enjoy hearing from him. A couple topics I enjoy chatting with him about are the future of sports betting, the sale of his prior company to WeWork, and how personality assessments were a common topic of conversation at his dinner table growing up. Dan, thank you for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited
0: to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, So if you could, could you give the listeners a little backstory on yourself, where you came from, and work history prior to Pickup?
1: Sure. Um, I I'll start with my work history and then kind of get into to where I came from. Um, so I started my first company when I was in college. Uh, I went to Ohio State and uh, started a, a company there called SloopyMenus.com. If you know Ohio State, the school song is "Hang on Sloopy." But um, essentially, what we were doing at the time was we we built a, a platform that allowed the students at Ohio State to order food online. We saw that there were kids in their dorm rooms with laptops and uh and they were on them all day every day and all night every night and then they had a a a wooden board where they had menus plugged into and they would call in and it didn't make sense and so we (laughs) figured out a way to create a um uh, a site that basically allowed them to order food online we installed fax machines into all the restaurants and uh, we just we took a cut of it and that was really my first official jump into entrepreneurship um from it there,
0: started with fax machines,
1: it started with fax. Maybe it'll maybe <laughs> wow. it'll come full circle. Maybe it'll or maybe it'll end with fax too. Um, <laughs> we'll bring that back. Uh, <laughs> from there, we we sold that company uh, when we graduated, which which was was cool. And I, I had the opportunity to from there to go out to Madison, Wisconsin. My brother had started a company called Brazen Careerist, which was all about teaching um corporations how to work with millennials so there's this whole new group of millennials I'm clearly dating myself so that was 08 um there was a whole group of millennials coming into the workforce and social media and all of these things were happening and nobody knew how to handle it on the HR side and uh and so we were there to do that training um and to to talk to millennials about how to create a social po- profile and to talk to companies about how to recruit and retain these folks and um, I did that for about a year and a half, and then I just felt the need to to come back to the East Coast, Uh, came back to the East Coast and ultimately found myself at a a fast growth startup. Uh, I was really trying to figure out, you know, I built my own company. I'd been at a very, very very early stage company, Um, but I wanted to experience what, what fast growth looked like. And so I had the opportunity to join a company called On Deck Capital in 2010, and um, On Deck uh, basically was creating a new way for Main Street to access capital. It was really the beginning of financial technology or the the fintech space in, in New York. Um, I joined right when they were raising, I guess, closing their Series B and, uh, and, and spent a couple of years there um, they ultimately IPO'd and, and I just had this really unique role where I sat between product and marketing and did direct marketing, which was unfamiliar to me. Um, but, but thought about how technology could kind of impact that and, and learned about conversion funnels and all of these things in a fast, fast growth startup that, um, you know, where culture was changing rapidly and they were hiring like crazy. It was really an amazing experience. Um, but I, again, kind of Uh, Got got a taste of that, but wanted to to be in a in a leadership role. Wanted to have a little bit more ownership. And um, a couple of my friends had started a company in in Connecticut that they brought up to Brooklyn in an area called Dumbo, Um, and they were building mobile apps in you know late 2010, early 2011. And uh, I saw an opportunity there. I saw what they were doing. I thought they were just so hardworking and so smart and so creative. And ultimately. Um, we decided that if we could build mobile applications for companies that that wanted conversions, right? So instead of marketing apps, think about retailers or or fintech companies or or health and wellness brands, folks that that wanted conversions that we could potentially differentiate ourselves in a, a relatively crowded agency space. You know, New York, circa 2010, 2011. Um, so we did. We joined and. Uh, we were able to build the first iteration of Rent the Runways app and Lululemon, eventually building everything from you know SoulCycle and American Express to Abercrombie, Gap, Sephora, CrossFit, Equinox, TB12, you name it. Um, we grew that company up to about 126 people across Brooklyn, San Francisco, and Durham, North Carolina. And then in uh, 2019, we were uh, we were acquired by WeWork when they were in fast growth mode and were trying to, to really um, enhance their technology chops. They they aqua hired the whole org uh, and and we you know we we were part of, of that documentary. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, and then I started pickup a a, a passion that turned into a a platform and now an amazing team and in, in super growth mode. So it's been fun.
0: Cool. I'm, I'm just listening to you. So food, ordering online, ordering, you know, let's say 15, 20 years ago, building apps a decade ago. Uh, seems like you're on the kind of precursor to a lot of major trends happening in technology.
1: I, I think so. I mean, I I think we try to be, and and I think the the, the most unique component I think of of how I've approached it is uh, I've always tried to start with a user problem. Um, if you start with a user problem and you get smarter <laughs> about how to build technology, then uh, then you know maybe you can have some some pretty big impact. So.
0: Cool. Yeah, I um, I think it leads in well leads in well to PickUp, which uh, is your latest company, Kinetic Portfolio Company. Uh, it's in the kind of sports betting, content, media space. Can you tell us a little bit about PickUp, uh, just kind of general business idea and what made you launch the company?
1: Sure. So. I guess what I I left out of my past was the fact that I've kind of lived all over. I touched on a couple of places, but I was born on the West coast uh, in the Bay area, lived in Seattle for a number of years before my family moved out to Connecticut. Uh, and then ultimately Ohio, Wisconsin, and, and then to Brooklyn. Um, the thing that, that always kind of allowed me to be a, a chameleon or to kind of blend into the community to learn where I, where I kind of fit, um, with sports, right? You, you grow up in a town like Seattle where we had the Sonics back then and and the Mariners were, were so big. Um, and then eventually the, you picked your identity when you lived in Connecticut, you were either a Red Sox fan or a Yankees fan. And then, uh, Ohio state speaks for itself. I didn't know what fandom was until I went there. Um, and, uh, and then I finally found a home team in, in the, in the Brooklyn Nets when I lived there. But, um, but I've always looked at sports as a way to, to develop a community, something that you can talk about on even ground. And if you're educated in it, you know, even a little bit, it gives you an opportunity to fit in. And, um, in 2018, uh, actually this month is the three-year anniversary of, uh, the repeal of PASPA, which legal, you know, allowed states to legalize sports betting, um, We had been working on this this concept, and the concept was essentially if there's going to be a convergence of – there's going to be a convergence in the sports business world where sports media, sports betting, and fan engagement are ultimately going to become the new sports business. And what we saw was, was we saw very high barriers to entry on the sports betting side. Um, we saw, you know, media that that didn't really make content interactive and started to create these these walled gardens, these subscription services, or, or you know, ads that were driven by, you know, CPMS that were just really intrusive. And and what we figured was, well. People have always sat down and talked about sports, and they've always had an opinion, and they've always had a perspective. So what if we could tap into those conversations? What if we could look into what people are talking about on subreddit groups or across Twitter conversations, kind of extract the fan conversation, extract the headlines, um, make them playable, right? Quantifiable in some components. So win-loss, does this person win MVP? Uh, you know, will this team score X amount of points? And and then distribute those uh, across the sports universe, letting localized blogs or regional sports networks or, or large scale media publications easily tap into this platform and make their content interactive, uh, and and at the time make the the sports fan conversation um, fun again. And so that's what we've been working on. And and over the past few years, uh, you know, we've we've hired some amazing people. Um, from places like Bleacher Report and the Athletic and, and Outbrain and the Action Network, and um, and we've created this this platform that is now being distributed across uh, 100 plus regional blogs, across you know USA Today's wires, um, on Comcast TV sets, and and kind of all over the place. And, and fans are are really enjoying it, and so we're seeing some pretty cool traction. I'm I'm
0: definitely a user. I love it. Uh, I forget my my accuracy rate, but it, it's pretty good. I'm definitely on some sort of leaderboard somewhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that that's that's next up. the the The, the leaderboards are going to be fun. They're going to be a lot of fun.
0: Uh, so f- for me, when when we met, yeah, you know, obviously I knew sports betting was uh, legalized at least in some states, but. I didn't know much about the industry and especially where it was moving. Can you talk a little bit just about your perspective of uh, sports betting as an industry and where you think you know, the shift is happening over the next couple of years? Because for me, I, that was one of the more interesting things that we've talked about in our catch ups.
1: Yeah, so it is a rapidly evolving industry Um, so far we've been fortunate in some of the things that we saw, right. Which is this, which is powered by this convergence sports media and sports betting really coming together. um, That, that is something that has clearly taken shape, right? You've got companies like the score who is started as a media company and now is a sports book company is a sports book and a media company. Um, Bally and Sinclair have partnered points Bet took an investment from NBC and, and ultimately will be a part of them. DraftKings has their own media properties now. Um, so, you know, there's just been this rapid convergence in, in sports media, which makes sense because right now it's a land grab. It's how many users can you get? Um, the, the, the most recent kind of evolution has been, okay, what we're seeing is that, uh, Daily fantasy sports companies, be it a monkey knife fight, you know, or or whomever, are are across all of these states that have legalized DFS, daily fantasy sports. And those daily fantasy sports players will most likely be sports betters. And so the the most recent kind of evolution or or land grab is is buying those companies up, is is acquiring either those free-to-plays or those those DFS companies so that the the sports books can have a um, access to users in the States when the States go live, which is is smart because they're going to, they're going to convert when, when the time comes. Um, I think what's next is, is going to be a, obviously there's going to be a few years of, of rollout. New York's going to go live. Hopefully Texas goes live. Florida goes live. These are big States with really big um, sports betting demographics. It's going to be a battle for the users initially. Ultimately it's going to be a play for loyalty. Um, what we see the opportunity we see is, is a bit bigger than that. What, what we see is we see an opportunity to live in the in the fans' conversation, right? We there, Headlines are being pushed to people. That's clear. Headlines will always be pushed to people. But the headlines are just a starting point for the fan conversation. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but one of the, the trends that we've tracked and we've continued to track is that the real conversations, the real influence actually exists in large SMS groups or WhatsApp groups or Slack channels. Like that's where people are actually giving insight talking about what they're thinking about what they feel kind of like putting themselves out there to their group and so you know the same way that that the the fan experience has shifted from listening to sports radio 10 years ago to social media being the loudest person in the room and trying to get likes and shares and all that the next iteration of sports media we think is going to be powered by the fan conversation and um so what we're you know, the, the opportunity we see is is to to ultimately power that fan conversation is to give fans the ability to surface the things they care about, um, and then try and bring brands and sports books and, uh, and and media companies into that conversation, either for for credibility, for validation, or ultimately for uh for real money opportunities.
0: Cool. Yeah, I've seen lately some hybrids of fans hosting or calling games to do you, do you think fans like that experience will trickle over to live events of you know people tuning in to listen to let's say a top caster among their network like, do you see that shift happening too or do you, do you see it just peer-to-peer like more one-to-one like i guess what would is the one-to-many model coming to sports as well, like uh, clubhouse yeah. type audio?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think we're. I, I think esports is kind of figuring it out, and I think traditional sports will will probably start to uh, adopt some of those things, um, just because they're going to need to target a younger demographic. Today, when you're when you're consuming sports, uh, it, it's quite linear, right? It's a little bit less. Um, it's a little bit less so because of OTT and the ability to shift it over to a second screen and, and kind of like watch sports wherever you are. But when you're watching something, it's it's driven by that channel, the advertising that supports the channel, the personalities that support the channel and ultimately want what they want to cover and when. Um, the real experience is actually happening in either the room you're in physically, which has been less so over the past year, uh, or in the text, you know, in the text chain you're in. And that's where we'll probably start to see what, what you're referring to, right? Where you get like a, a Twitch-like coverage of, of uh, a game or, or you look at, I think it's called Color Cast, something like that, where you've got somebody who just knows the team so well and, and understands them and maybe like is their Twitter personality and they just go through and they cover the game and you're either listening in and doing something else um, mm-hmm. or you tap in when something big happens because they hit you on whatever channel you follow them on. And they're like, Hey, these guys are coming back. You know, Claxton just came into the game and he's been amazing in the fourth quarter. Like turn, you know, jump in here and, and they start streaming it from Twitter or from wherever that happens. Like that will likely happen. Yes.
0: And is there anything that could derail the, yeah, any of these, these things we're talking about, or is it more mm-hmm. just a time the time time game where it will happen it's just up to legislation to catch up or or push it through
1: yeah it's going to be challenging because the money's been in sports rights forever um so that if anything could derail it it would be the the leagues and the teams just not allowing coverage right without their without their consent um that seems incredibly short-sighted uh but a lot of times, you know, money talks and, and you see the billions of dollars the NFL is getting for for their rights and, and all sorts of stuff. So um, I, I don't think anything would stop the NBA from allowing something like that. But you never know about some of the other leagues.
0: Is the NBA, I saw something, viewership was down, at least for certain games or primetime games, 70, 80 percent on NBA. Is that right?
1: Um, I'm not sure. I I mean, I, have seen that viewership is down, but I don't think engagement is down. Um, what we're seeing is if you listen in on some of these panels or listen to some of the folks that are directly involved in the leagues or the teams is people aren't paying attention less. They're just not sitting through live games. Um, so, you know, we, we're trying to come up with solutions to that, right. With, like an SMS strategy that we've rolled out, trying to bring somebody from their their phone to the the TV to actually engage directly there. I think ultimately um, opportunities around live live betting will will increase um, the the longer term viewership of these games, and will actually let people like sit through them because they'll have something vested in it. Uh, but I think the metrics that the leagues and the teams Focus on over the coming years is going to be very different from viewership. It's going to be broader engagement, um, and and hopefully uh, we can provide some insight into that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you mentioned we work about your previous company. Uh, I want to get into that because I think everyone uh, listening really wants to know what that process was like. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think. Very few founders go through creating a company to the exit and actually make it to the exit, let alone by uh, a more notable company. So can you just walk me through the process of formation or joining that company until the exit? What, how was that experience for you? Positive, negative? Were, were there things that surprised you along the way um, up until <laughs> the exit?
1: Yeah, so um, you know, I I think the uh, the elephant in the room is the the acquirer in <clears throat> in this case, right? You can you can follow that that story in, in a, a variety of of mediums, and and it was in in its own way it was interesting, right? Because we work in a lot of ways to find the the rapid growth of New York tech um, from really the time we started prolific, and people started talking about working out of uh, of WeWorks up until. You know, we, we joined WeWork and then, um, you know, the the founder, Adam, was was no longer a part of it within a couple of months. So um, I I joined Prolific again. Two of my friends had started the company in Connecticut. Uh, they came to the city. There were about four people when I joined. And it was just it was this little loft in, in Dumbo, Brooklyn. Um, you know, today, if you go to Dumbo and you see an Equinox, uh, the Pilates studio in that Equinox was our first office. Um, we ultimately built the app for for you to book that, but um, that's a story in itself so uh, the the early culture is so important and we were very fortunate that we were um, you know at the at the the core group, the people that were driving this thing forward were just really motivated hungry people who who didn't really you know we didn't know what it what it like what it was like to, to fail. And, and in this very weird way, you know, we were in a different business than a lot of other people were in because we were in the business of making payroll. When you run an agency, you know, it's, it's the multiples two, three X best, right? Because you're not building scalable technology. You're literally managing humans. And, and so the, the exit isn't a, it's not a, a, a tempting thing for a venture capital group to get involved in. And so you're in the business of making enough money to pay your people, and then managing resources. And we as a leadership team did not believe in laying people off, but we also didn't really believe in contractors. So again, when we were sold, we were 126 full-time employees. Um, The... uh, it was just, it was, it was, you know, it was that old mentality, older mentality, the early tech mentality of just working as many hours as humanly possible, and just like creating something out of nothing, uh, and you know, traveling to a spot to have a meeting with people, all of those things that we all did when, uh, when we were just trying to get off the ground and prove that entrepreneurship was was real and all of that. Um, you know, I think. I, I saw this this group recently at a wedding this weekend, actually, and people take sleep a lot more seriously and exercise a lot more seriously <laughs> these days. We're all generally healthy, but we're all now in our thirties. So, um, but it, you know, we we always just had this mentality of we can do anything, we can build anything, we can grow, we can hire the best people in the world, and we can deliver. Um, and we were incredibly, you know, when you talk about the the luck that goes into companies and and how you've got to get lucky to, to exit or to even grow in a lot of cases. I think ours was just the fact that we had incredible leadership and we were early in mobile and we were able to build the SoulCycle app. And the SoulCycle app was something we built and managed from the day it launched up until the day we shut down the business. Uh, and that app was so powerful and was so relevant in New York and was such a big part of the, the tech culture Um and was just such a good product that it it really had a lot to do with our our growth our success and ultimately our exit. Um. So that that you know that was that was interesting. The you know the, I think the lessons um, that you learn along the way, especially in a business like that, uh, it's really human. It's it's people management lessons, right? You you try you you come in and you think you know everything, but you really know nothing and. Uh, We we learned about empathy. We learned about, you know, listening to people and asking good questions and not just saying stuff if we didn't have anything to back it up. And and we really had this mentality of uh, show, don't tell, you know, go in with a prototype, build something. Show that it works um, make sure that, that what you're saying isn't just a story which is what most agencies do but instead is is a product is something tangible is something that really can can work and can scale and, and that's how we want a lot of deals you know some companies some agencies would invest invest fifty thousand dollars hundred thousand dollars into a pitch um, we, we couldn't do that <laughs> we didn't have that money so
0: you've talked about a couple of things that are really interesting I think just timely given some of the conversations going on. You mentioned getting lucky is a big piece, but also you're talking a lot about learnings that you had at prolific and prior roles. How important do you think it is to be a multi-time founder? Let's layer in luck too. Let's say you get lucky. How important is it? to have experience running a startup, building teams, building culture. Do you, do you think that's integral into success? Because I think that's you know, one of the only topics many VCs talk about is prior experience. And I think it's interesting hearing from entrepreneurs
1: how they view that topic. Um, I guess this time around, I've recognized how important it is. Uh, I. You know, I, I think, look, you've got to be a first time founder some at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so somebody's got to take a shot on you. Uh, I think that's, I, I think there are a lot of things that I have done this time around that I would have done very differently if this would have been last time or that I did do differently when I joined, you know, and, and for all, you know, I, I was, I was a founder in, in college and then I was on leadership teams of these early stage companies. So Technically, I'm a I'm a second time founder, but I I did you know I was part of the the ultimately the growth and the exit. So I I look at I look at what we're doing today, and I think that we've been able to be very effective because of the lessons that I learned over my time at at prolific. Um, a lot of that goes back to the culture of the team that you're surrounding yourself with you can't just like, you can't, you can't hire for, for, for logos, you know, like, yeah, we do have a bunch of people from Bleacher Report and the Athletic and Sports Illustrated. And that's very important because they have industry knowledge, but I would not have hired these people had they not been good humans that are easy to work with that aren't a distraction from our our goals and our mission, but instead are a value add. Um, It is so important, the team composition, the balance and the empathy that you have to have internally and the understanding and the fact that things aren't going to be, you know, if if you're, if you're used to a corporate setting or you're used to this environment where, you know, it's a a quote unquote rocket ship and you're, you're in one of these, these large Facebooks or Googles or something like that, and you're getting a stock plan and then you're put into a a scrappy startup where I can't tell you what you need to do. You have to tell me (laughs) what you need to do. Um, you might find yourself in the wrong spot and, uh, and, and i've i saw that because we did hire people from places like that at our last company and we also lost people to places like that and then they came back in a lot of cases um, and so when developing the team and putting some basic principles in place uh, that a lot of that was driven by my my learnings and, and again i had the opportunity to hire a lot at, at prolific so I, I got to understand it
0: so you think maybe a lot of early or first time founder, a lot of where it goes wrong is team building, culture building, uh, specifically just around kind of the human elements of a company?
1: Yeah. And then I think communication and priorities, right? Mm-hmm. Like communication, communication, communication. I, I can't emphasize how important communication is internally, externally with your investors, with your co-founder, with your, your teammates, with people that you're potentially hiring with business partners that you're working, you know, companies that you're working with, um, with your customers, like if you're not communicating with them, then you're, you're, you're going to miss something. Expectations typically will be incorrectly set unless you get incredibly lucky. Um, and uh, and you're probably not going to get the feedback you need to hear <laughs> in real time. Um, so that's that's another thing that I I think was so important, and that may be a result of running an agency. Communication was was everything. Mm-hmm. Well, good. That's a
0: good natural segue. Uh, I know we we had a combo. I think it was early last week, and you had told me about uh, the assessment. And so you know, part of this, we talk a little bit about startup DNA, which is the team building module within wendell uh for anyone listening dan is an accelerator uh very proactive uh likes to get things done super quick he's part of the enterpriser vector uh, but w- we had a really good conversation which kind of spurred the the need to do this podcast uh, can you you just provide a little background or perspective what did, what did you think about wendell uh, especially startup DNA uh, in terms of identifying your team and it was, was that helpful in any context?
1: Yeah. So when, when we were connected, it was like, the, it was, you know, this is where luck comes into play. Um, <laughs> we were connected, mm-hmm. I think through the guys at, at KB, um, who, who led our, our, our seed round. And when we spoke, um, you were speaking a language that was so incredibly familiar to me. Uh, so the, the thing that, you know, I kind of left out about my past was that my, my mother was in organizational development. And my father was a nonprofit. And so I grew up in a family that would quite literally do family offsites and, and go through Myers-Briggs assessments and talk about <laughs> communication. And I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. This I, I like, remember well, like,
0: that. when I was like, all right, we work you know, background in behavioral psychology. I'm in
1: what does he do again (laughs) sports betting no Uh, so it it was uh it it was so incredibly fortuitous because sure i looked at at wendell as a great opportunity right validate us for for the group that we are um don't just listen to the pitch look at look at the the data behind this i I feel very confident in our ability to build and grow a company and so I'm, i'm interested to see if that is what the data says as well and i had nothing that could do that but then um we were able to introduce Wendell to our our leadership team, and as I just mentioned, it's you know hiring a leadership team is so incredibly important in the early days, uh, but managing them is also so incredibly difficult because what we all have to remember is that people are people, humans are humans, and you can't just you can't treat them like robots. You can't expect that they understand everything you're saying. And if you don't understand the way you communicate and you don't understand the way that they perceive communication or listen to communications or the way that they communicate, you're typically actually not communicating. And the impact of something like that at an early stage can cost you months because the the people that you're hiring ultimately control not only the setup of your roadmap, but the execution of it. And so you, as the CEO, are in charge of defining that roadmap as it relates to your, your your vision and and your mission. But you need to give it to other people to execute on. And so when uh, the team took the assessment, you know I saw a couple of a couple of key things that that stuck out to me. Um, one, you know, one of them was was just around uh, a segment of my leadership team being incredibly passionate about the work that They are doing, which is a huge value add for the role that they're in, um, but also something that you know could push them to to go uh, too far, right? That that would push them to to burn out, or would would cause them to to maybe kind of like put on blinders or or, or close their ears when they heard something they didn't like because they were being directed that way. And um, I've been able to manage this group knowing what wendell taught me and as a result i've been able to watch situations happen start to fizzle up start to become like a little bit heated and then direct them based on the data you provided in a way that allowed them to just combust and allows us to make progress I cannot tell you how valuable that is. I, I, and I'm not here to you know just just kind of like pitch this as a, <laughs> uh, as as like this is incredibly valuable because you as an individual need to know how to, like in you know how to to decipher this data and use it the right way. But if you do, and if you have managed people, and if you then bring that data to your 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 approach to management and the best practices that live there, you can save yourself months. You can save yourself. You can keep yourself alive, right? And and all we're doing at this stage in the company is buying time, making progress, and and showing growth so that we can get to that, that next phase when we can really scale. And, um, and I've quite literally seen scenarios where we could have, had we not had the knowledge that we had from behind the scenes and, and did not understand just what communication on teams was like, we could have been in a really, really tough spot.
0: Yeah, now when you were initially telling me that story, it's just incredibly validating. Yeah, you know, we, we build this internally and we, we've gotten smarter smarter over time. And we started just analyzing five traits, now we're up to nine, and emotion, which you can referenced was one of the newer ones. So you know, we're always as we implement things, we don't know exactly if it's gonna be useful or how. How founders are going to use it, and so that was one. We've only had five or six months of data on that specific trait, and so it was it was just incredibly validating for me. And you know, you used it in a way that I don't know if I think about it the same way. Um, and so it was just it was great to hear. And yeah, we're we're even looking at different assessments and creating new ones based on resiliency and some other factors that people have expressed that are likely important just in terms of building teams or being leaders. And so any feedback we get, uh, ideally it's helpful feedback, but it's incredibly powerful and just validates why, why we're doing this. And so Mm -hmm. I really appreciate uh, you sharing that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think there's an opportunity to ultimately right as, as these companies grow and, and you're building up this this awesome database of people like sometimes whether it's full-time or even part-time you've got to plug people in that have certain skill sets um mm-hmm. that, that can the uh that can that can kind of like move the the ship along and i don't mean to tap into what your guys's roadmap is but i think that can be a very intriguing thing to offer um just knowing what you know about some of these folks
0: yeah definitely on a roadmap i think we now have Almost nine thousand profiles, and wow. so and these are, these are all people within the entrepreneurial ecosystem. So it's not you don't need to educate them on what it, what the startup environment or even you know, pay scale is like. I think that's one of the biggest factors. It's it's not just a generic database; it's an entrepreneurial database, and so there's there's huge differences between someone that works at a Fortune five hundred. <laughs> versus someone that's willing to take equity and, you know, sometimes even a third their pay to work on something that has a much larger upside and and vision. So to me, that's, that might be the biggest difference between what we're building and anything else in the market.
1: It makes total sense. I think the other thing that, you know, you have to account for today, and, and I think people are starting to realize this, you see this as part of the chatter. We just thought we had our Monday morning meeting as a group today and, and, the happiness factor is real, right? Money is important, equity is important, upside is important, mm-hmm. but the the happiness factor going into an environment that is that that supports your work style and and your your building style and and really your just approach to life, um, it just makes it all better, right? And and I sure there's tons of perks that are going along with the startup space, remote work, all of the other stuff that, that people put into it, but there is literally nothing better than just looking forward to getting back to work after the weekend. Um, And, you know, for me, I'm I'm pretty much on during the weekend, but when people come back in on Monday and they're excited about it and they did stuff on their own and they bring it up in the Monday morning meeting, all this stuff, it's just like, there's energy and there's excitement that you, that you just, you, you don't have in your work life a lot of times.
0: Something super interesting we found about two months ago as we were looking at performance data relative to profiles in our database, There, we, we removed role and just looked at what's the most successful profile, meaning what percent of teams win with this type of person on it. Mm-hmm. And it's not correlated to CEO success or any particular role, but teams with a mingler, are the most successful, so I think it's super. And that that person's the most friendly. They they bring the most energy, have the like highest morale boost. Uh, and so it's it was super interesting because it's not they're they're not an enterpriser, meaning you know generally they're not the ones creating strategy, vision, being the CEO role. But it's super important for a team, especially a small team, to have someone like that. And for you, it's Chris. He's your mm-hmm. mangler. But that was, as we were looking at it, it was one of the coolest things because we think pretty binary is what team can we build that'll be the most successful or what team can we invest in that we think will make us the most money. But mm-hmm. we found something pretty interesting when you remove titles and everything else from the equation that it, it feels like you also need happiness and energy as might be, you know, the most important than role fit.
1: I love that. And Chris is all about just honestly, he's all about positive vibes. He's just (laughs) like, that's, that's who he is. You know, he like, he's, he's an incredibly supportive person. Um, he's, he's one of those people, you you know, we met, uh, you know, through another, another person that used to work at, at Prolific, right. And we were both in Brooklyn at the time. And I met Chris and, I mean, when you just hit it off with somebody and you just see, hey, we are very different human beings, but we are incredibly complementary. Um, Chris likes to say that you know him and I would uh, we, we'd win the dating game because every time I have an idea, he's already oh, like, that. <laughs> it's so funny. We'll be on a call and I'll like say, hey, Chris, what do you think about this? And and it's with like an investor or a partner or whatever, and he'll literally hold up his iPad because he's just sketched it, right? Like that's the kind of flow that we're we're in these days. <laughs> Um And yeah, I, I talk a lot about empathy and all of these things, but I mean, he is a personal person. He cares about human beings um, and shows it and makes an effort to show it. So I'm, I'm glad that that, that is, is an, an attribution to our, our growth so far.
0: That's so funny though. You said <laughs> dating game. We've, we've been you know, behind the scenes working on, yeah, you know, could you apply this to matchmaking and then maybe sell <laughs> it to Bumble or you know, someone that has way more money than we do. And, <laughs> Of our data set, the most successful relationships of the data we've collected, like one of the top matches is accelerator and mingler. <laughs> and so it's super interesting. <laughs> you just brought that up. That validates our uh,
1: hypothesis on those two profiles. Oh man, you're in such a fascinating space, right? Because you can you can quite literally take this data and then ask questions and, and just like validate things in real time. I it's just oh, I love I love what you guys are doing. It's it's so fun.
0: Uh well I love it. I don't want to take too much of your time. So I've got three final questions just sure. listening to you. I think people will be interested to know. If you had to live anywhere, West Coast, Midwest, East Coast, and, and just know most people listening to this are probably Midwesterners.
1: <laughs> 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 That's
0: just to sway your answer.
1: Um if I had to I, you know, I recently, it's such a hard question. I recently moved out of Brooklyn over to the, the, um, the top of the New Jersey shore. And I, I always said I would never live in New York and I would never live in New Jersey. So, um, I, I want to, I would love to go back to Brooklyn. I miss, I miss what Brooklyn was. Uh, and so I, I would have to say Brooklyn is, is, is my home or hopefully will be my home again at some point.
0: All right. I, I said the same thing about Cincinnati And now I've, I'm, I've been here for a while So I'm I finding your home Yes uh, Perspective Thoughts One-liner on Adam Newman
1: um, So uh, I think There You know I, I think he had a vision I think he believed it And I think he brought people Around to to enable it, um, you know the the outcome wasn't great for for a lot of people, and that's truly unfortunate. Um, but I think we can all learn a lot, uh, both good and bad, from from what he was was able to do, and and ultimately how he you know is, is portrayed as as kind of like treating people in the end. Um, so you know, I think it's important to. And make sure that your vision is is very clear, but I think it's also important to make sure that you empower uh, the people that you work with and and put them first um, in in your actions, not just your words. Great, right, yeah, I, th- I think we work's making a comeback. So uh, I hope so. <laughs> I, think, I think it'll be all right. <laughs> all
0: right, and then if you weren't running pickup, what? type of business or vertical or even problem would you solve because i know all almost all entrepreneurs all they do is think of other businesses to run so what what would
1: you do no oh, man um so I have two other things that I that I work on because you're you're right. Um, it's it's important that we keep our minds sharp. But in this case, those <laughs> two things need to be directly related to pickup. So uh, one is in you know, a couple of months ago, a group of friends and I started to manage a digital horse racing stable on Zed.run, which is absolutely fascinating. Oh. Um yeah, probably for another podcast. Um, but it's it's incredible because you're learning about the utility of breeding horses on the blockchain and like racing them and saving them and all these other things. It's the only place I've found that these NFTs actually have utility and function. And so I'm learning a ton about that because I ultimately think we can we can tokenize our our, our marketplace. And then the other thing that I am working on is uh, with a with a very good friend of mine uh, and, and a guy that I used to work with that was a creative director. We are starting a uh, in the early days of starting a school in in Belfast in Northern Ireland um, that is is kind of like helping take some some marginalized youths from the the Catholic and Protestant communities, bring them together. Uh, Providing them with a curriculum that is the new type of education, meaning uh, how can you be a creative and how can you use the, the canvas that is Belfast and the tools that you already have, those being social media um, and, and communication, essentially. And we are compensating them for learning in, in cryptocurrency um, because cryptocurrency is something that can help educate people on uh, on true wealth and compounding interest and, and ultimately could be a springboard you know, out of a, a pretty rough spot. So, um, that's also teaching me a lot about the crypto world and about individual creators and the creator economy, uh, which is ultimately something that, you know, we want to power through, through the fan conversation at pickup. So, um, those are the other things that are on my radar these days, but, but are helping to, to expand our, our world.
0: Wow. All right. That was both awesome. I am on Zed.run now. And <laughs> I think I found my afternoon. <laughs> <not> them. <worthwhile. laughs>
1: yeah it's fascinating absolutely fascinating
0: also, I don't think I ever told you my mom's maiden name is Healy oh is that right so, yeah.
1: well there you go so she's probably also got some ties to the Ireland Island. thing reminded yeah. me to tell you that very cool well um, yeah it's, it's, there's a new world coming um, and there's an opportunity to learn a lot to do good and also to do well
0: All right. Well, I appreciate it, Dan. It was great talking to you. And I think you shared a lot of uh, pretty great wisdom. So thank you. Cool. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Kinetic Ventures is an early stage VC that is disrupting venture capital by replacing the pitch with an automated data-driven approach. What's the benefit? A completely unbiased investment process that allows funders to spend more time building their business. To learn more about Kinetic or apply for funding, please visit us at www.kinetic.com ventures.